Hey everybody, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. Now, thanks to everybody who's been listening to the last slate of podcasts, including my last Sunday episode on... Worth Your Time. I... I had a lot of thoughts about how I spent all the time we suddenly had in 2020. Um, which is which is real fun for me because I, for those of you who don't know, I have no concept of time, none. Like, for for most people, they like feel that an hour has passed, or they'll feel that a day has passed. Everything feels the fucking same to me. All of it. It sucks. It's like I have non twenty four, but I'm not blind. Um, like, I notice it's a different time of day, but, like, I can't, like, if you're like, Alex, what time is it? I can't instantly tell you. My brain doesn't keep, like, accurate track of, like, oh, it was 3 o'clock two hours ago. Now it's 5 o'clock. My brain is like, oh, it was 3 o'clock two hours ago. Now it's tomorrow. Um, <laughs> or it might as well be tomorrow. You don't know the answer to this. Look at your watch, you dumbass. Um... But I, so in thinking about that, um, Funimation over on Twitter, Funimation of, you know, Funimation, the anime company fame, um, released this template of like your top five favorite anime of 2020. You can literally go their, um, Twitter to their Twitter profile and download the image right now and do the same thing I did. But I don't usually... And this is weird for me because so um let's before we get to that I what we'll be talking about today will be a little odd because it won't be one show it will be the top five anime my top five anime of 2020 so um I actually want to start this with my favorite opening song from 2020 which I will put in here. Now, what I started to say when I got ahead of myself there was, I this is a little odd for me since one of my favorite movies is, and it actually recently had a TV show that was on this year, I believe. 
um, if not late last year, early this year, called High Fidelity. My favorite movie is a movie is a John Cusack movie called High Fidelity. I also deeply love the show with Dar Zoe Kravitz in the same like shithead dirtbag role as John Cusack plays. Well, like all she's good for is music, music and running a record shop. Um, but and they play this game in the in that show called Pot Five. Um, they they actually play the game a lot more in the movie just because the movie is um. I th- I believe it's based on John Grisham, um, book or it's based on a John Grisham book. He's a famous author. Um, he writes great books about the fucking universe. Um, <laughs> but they play this game in the movie, and I'm led to believe in the book, pretty extensively called Top 5, where they just list their top five of whatever. And because it's high fidelity and that movie ostensibly revolves around music, it it's always like top five songs about death. Or top five songs about love, or you know, top five songs about fucking. Um, they and or the the premise of the sh- movie, show, and book is it is um the John Cusack character, aka the Zoe Kravitz character, um named Rob in both cases, um going down their top five. Re- all-time number one breakups. And that's just how... If you haven't seen this movie, I encourage you to see it. It is definitely a romantic comedy, but it's not what you think of as a romantic comedy. It is more a movie about just a dude just living his fucking fucked up life and having to deal with it. And it's great. It is, I promise you, great. Um, But, so... That is, like I said, is one of my favorite mo- is one of my favorite movies of all times. But despite that, I never really think of top five for like stuff I watched, stuff all that other shit, because I don't, I don't qualify things in that way. I would qualify things as like I have favorites, but I don't usually like to rank them. But I thought it would be a great exercise, and also they had this fun nifty template that I could drop into Photoshop on my iPad Pro, and, like, pull that shit together. Like, get it done. Get myself some, my top five favorite anime of 2020. And I found out some things about myself that I, I knew, but I also was surprised at. I have shows on here I haven't finished. I have shows on here I finished and, like, had a nice time with, but wouldn't say I was, like, yeah, with. And I, especially the back half of this list, is was surprising to me because I'm like, oh, yeah, that show. That show was good. I like that show. And you'll find all different facets of me as an anime fan in this list because... I packed some fucking wild things into five choices, so let's get into it. The first, the, um, uh, so I'm going to do this counting down from five to one. So 
top five anime of 2020 for me, number five was a show called Smile Down the Runway. I didn't finish the show. I didn't finish, but I didn't finish the show because I... I felt pretty confident in where it was, in knowing where it was going and how it was going to handle. And from what I, from what I understand, it didn't do well enough to get another season to continue. Although that can always change, who knows? But um, what I liked about the show is that it takes, it explores the fundamental truth that people who are not creative people in the way that they went through art school as creative people don't like don't always comprehend and that is that as competitive as you believe professional sports are or even collegiate sports or whatever creative people are also competitive in that way we are we can be like knives out going for the throat 24-7 kinds of people. To give you an idea, I had a um, quite eccentric roommate, who I'm not going to name here, in college, in my, um, I sucked at academics in college, so I retook um, our history over the summer, and I lived with this roommate. And he used to do things to make sure he got better grades, like just steal other people's gouache paints. To which I would stare at him regularly and be like, if you motherfucking do that to me, man. He's like, don't worry, I live with you, I'm not that dumb. Also, I know you would find out and find me. I'm like, I would. And like, we we were pretty good roommates. We stayed out of each other's hair, except for um, on the weekends, we would have a friendly competition of, we would watch um, History's Greatest Warrior and bet on who was going to win. Like, we'd be like, who's going to... Like, he would be like, Vikings winning. I'd be like, no, Samurai's winning. And then whoever lost would make the other, would make, would make both of us lunch. <laughs> and that was, that was a ton of fun. So I, I, I mean, I loved him as a roommate. It was pretty great, even if he was super weird. Um, <laughs> that said, he was fiercely competitive. There was another girl in my class, in my um, college class who was also fiercely competitive, but she was a bitch in a way that, like, no one liked her. Everyone, most people had no problems with the roommate I, that particular roommate I had, but everybody hated this girl. Hated this girl so much because she was so competitive and so know-it-all-y that she, like, freaking basically got laughed out of school. Is what I will say. Like, she, she pissed off enough people where it was not socially possible for her to stay enrolled. And also, she was... Um, people used to call her Tits McGee because she was just, like... She was a hot-ass, trashy white girl who knew it. And she was wanted to be, like, a cosplay star. And it was, it was just not going to happen for her. Just, just no. Just no. Or maybe it has. Who knows? Um... But I should ask. I should ask Lauren since Lauren also, Lauren also knew this person. So I might ask her what the fuck happened. Um, but that that's a that's a story for not this podcast. Um, <laughs> but that said, Smile Down the Runway really captured that 
creative competitiveness and also the kind of take no prisonersness of the of the fashion world and while the while the clothing in that in in that show was not always the best it was also very they were there were moments in that show where someone was making clothes and it was admitted that they weren't supposed to be the best because I'm moving my microphone, which is a dangerous fucking game. Um, because they were supposed to be sellable. Like, they were supposed to be clothes that people would go out and buy, not art pieces. And that's... For as much about the fashion world as we all participate in, like, we all go buy t-shirts and jeans, we all... We all go buy clothes on, on on all levels. Like some of us buy, some of us. Everybody has bought dress clothes in their life. Everybody has bought casual clothes in their life. Everyone will buy work clothes at some point. We all participate in that universe. But at least in America, and um, this is less true in other countries, specifically like Paris and just other countries. Clothes are treated as such a disposable, such a, like, almost... Such a non-art form. Like, when you buy a t-shirt, generally, you don't consider yourself as buying a piece of art, but you are. When you buy one of those weird graphic tees from, say, Old Navy or Hot Topic, there I've known these people. There are people whose job it is to put together those t-shirts, design those t-shirt graphics, and they get paid to do that. That's a form of creative expression. Granted, like, kneecapped, corporatized, super-controlled creative expression, but it's a form of creative expression. And so much about Smile Down the Runway started as being about, like, what if you were a short model? <laughs> and... Specifically, I want to say, what if you were a short model in Japan, which is a big, huge deal because Japanese people lots of times just don't get that tall. Like, it, this is a real thing. Um, if you want to go watch a great show about the Japanese fashion world, go watch um, Paradise Kiss, which I think is finally licensed by Funimation, and you can just go watch it on Funimation's app. But there's a moment in that show where they talk about, like, Yukari's height. And Yukari's like, am I not tall enough? And the agent is like, no, you're like 5'6". You're fine. Like, you're fine. Uh, it, you're taller than some, of the some of the higher paid models we have in our agency. We just need to find you the right people to work with. It's, but you're fine. You're plenty tall enough. Don't worry about it. I think the um, character in this in Smile Down the Runway, I forget her name, is she's just 5'3". She's just 5'3". I'd give you an idea, I'm 5'6". I know you probably haven't seen me in, like, proportion to anything, but, like, I am taller than this girl by at least three inches. And the show starts off, and you think it's going to be this struggle for her because all the promo material focus on her to get a job and they show her like 
they they show her really doing the work of being a top model, of doing the things you do if you want to be a model. And that's really interesting. But the more interesting things they end up focusing on, they end up focusing on the um, other half of this equation, which is the boy. And they focus on him becoming a fashion designer. And they focus on him going to... Um, fashion, going to a fashion college and, like, designing outfits. And then they focus pretty early on on the business of fashion, which is a huge deal. Because there's a scene really early on where he's told to make a outfit for a, um, inspired by a model. And he goes out of his way to, like, do all this research on this taught on this specific model and everybody makes all these like super high-end super extravagant things and he makes a pair of really excellently tailored really beautiful really fun pajamas and like he comes in number two in the like class competition in the competition in that school and everybody's like and Everybody's stunned, and what he says to, to the class when he's asked to explain his um, reasoning is like, look, you design stuff like she wears out, like she wears when she has an obligation to wear nice clothes. I design the kind of stuff she... I design something for her when she's at home, alone, hanging out, when she's in a natural state. You know, like... and. You looked at the other designs in that in the scene in in that episode. So this was like one was like a weird lace like wrist wrist bracelet thing. There was like all this other stuff. And the professor said like he came in number two. He 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 came in number two, so he advances. He didn't win, but you guys should all think about the fact that he, you know, looked... He he didn't just look at this model's career. He watched her interviews and listened to her and, you know, focused on what she, on what she said, what she likes in fashion. And it was this odd acknowledgement of the fact that models strive to be hangers. And this is a really mean Karl Lagerfeld quote, Karl Lagerfeld, when he was alive, was, he wasn't a necessarily mean person, he was just not a nice person, like, he didn't sugarcoat anything. Oftentimes, um, models are thought of as live hangers, as basically live billboards for the clothes. And when a model walks down runway, they don't necessarily like the thing they're wearing. They just, it just looks good on them. And that's a really, it's a really big difference to design something for a person and design something for somebody's career. And that moment in that show was a really stunning, like, understanding of, you know, clothing, what they mean to people, why why models love clothes, all what models love versus what they wear in public, all this other stuff. 
and it was it was it was like watching an early episode of um Project Runway <laughs> uh, of the infamous like one of the first reality shows and also a reality show that made fashion into a like thinkable thing um by normal people and it was just it was it's a fun show now my second show is not going to seem like the best coolest high most high-end show it is certainly not as high flying or high hoping or thinking as smile down runway but i ranked it number four because if you've ever seen my um full metal and beyond panel in um conventions back when we were allowed to have anime conventions you'll know that i have some feelings about Monster Girl Media. <laughs> and so I'm going to talk about, for my number four um, favorite anime of 2020, Monster Girl Doctor. There's another one that I haven't seen everything of. But what I did see of it was about a highly specialized physician who went to see highly... who went to see... Patients of differing needs who weren't just the everyday patients. And the scene where they have to change the centaur girl's um, horseshoes that is like dollar for dollar the best explanation of how they make assistive prosthetics on the planet. It's amazing. I... I have never felt so seen as I, in my experience of having a custom orthotic made for me as I was by that scene. That scene where they like mold the horseshoe and tap the horseshoe in and all this other stuff and it's like this big it's like this big very uncomfortable moment for the centaur girl was it was that is that's what it feels like to get a custom-made um, leg brace made as a disabled person. You go, I, I probably told this story before in um, my panels, but basically you go into, you, you, go, you go to the same doctor people who get prosthetics made go to, because they're the only people who can do this shit. Um, in my case, it's a guy named Lou in... Northern Jersey, who is one of the best at this in the world, so, um, and you sit there, you walk in your old brace, tell them what you'd like, what you don't like, they show you the latest hinges and all this other shit, um, they, they evaluate what material it should be made out of, um, mine, uh, currently high-performance, like, plastic, but, you can get them made out of graphite if the plastic breaks down too often, which I was so close to having happen to me. <laughs> so close. Um, and then they do a plaster cast of your foot, which if you've ever broken your arm, you've had a form of a plaster cast, but this is like them doing that, but it it's like a two-second thing. So like you sit there, they like wipe your foot down with water, wrap it in plaster, and they put a metal bar down the middle. And they take a box cutter knife 
and cut down the middle of that metal bar. You can feel every moment of it. It's so weird. And it's just, it's this stunning, Monster Girl Doctor ends up being this stunning representation of what it's like for disabled people to go to the doctor. <laughs> and for, like, people with chronic conditions to go to the doctor. And it's, it's kind of stunning, honestly. <laughs> yes, it's a fan service show, and yes, they have the episode with the zombie where they find zombie parts, and the more parts they find, like, they have, like, fan service scenes with zombie parts. But it's also... The, the fans... Actually, the zombie episode is also super interesting in that it is... It touches on a thing that is true of people with chronic conditions when it comes to medicine, and that is that it is... There's a level of, like, okay, we're at the doctor. This is not the time where we need to be, like, restrained or, like, worried about, like, shame or any of that stuff. Like, if I need to strip naked, I may not like it. Like, I may not be happy about it, but I'll fucking strip down... Drip down in my birthday suit. That's what needs to get done. Whatever. And that's a... That's a real thing. If you ask anybody with chronic conditions how they feel about, like, bashfulness in a doctor setting, usually they're a lot less restrained than most other normal people. So, I, that's why I picked number um, Monster Girl Doctor my number four. My number three is my... Um, more super mainstream pick and it didn't start this year but it's late season with this year so I grandfathered it in because I, I, I'm allowing that um, and that uh, my number four favorite anime of 2020 was um, Fire Force and mostly because of my love of the concept of firefighters are basically insane people who save people as a profession. And also, this show is so well produced. It is upsettingly well produced. It is, like, so I, and I pro I've talked about this probably in my Sunday edition on making um, a home theater but I have a um, theater class um, sound system for my not for my um, not for my uh, home theater setup, which is downstairs, not in the perch. But um, that's just a Bluetooth speaker I hooked up to it because the world closed down before I could get more speakers, yo. Um, but for my TV in in the perch. I have a Sonos surround system, basically. And built out of the, like, cool Sonos um, Ikea speaker. And to this day, one of the only shows that takes advantage of proper sound engineering for a great speaker system is Fire Force. Fire Force sounds incredible. And also, Fire Force looks incredible. And we're finally out of the section of Fire Force where I, have, where I had read 
that I had read through, so like now it's a whole new experience, and every time I watch Fire Force, I have tons of fun. It's just it's a fun shonen show. And now I want to get to my number two. Um, we're getting up to we get we get into the big boy number two and number one. My number two. Um, also, before I move off Fire Force, I wanted to, I like. I forget the name of the um, author's work, the 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 author, the original author, um, but something Oda, I think. But his treatment of characters who just look like monster people being good characters is something I've always enjoyed because I I look sketchy as fuck. Like I don't. I don't usually look like the guy who would be the good guy. <laughs> so I appreciate shows where, like, the person who is the asshole is the, like, morally upstanding person. <laughs> um, but my number three pick is actually almost like a reflection of my number five, my number um, two pick, it's a reflection of my number five pick almost. Because it is keep your hands off Azoken, and keep your hands off Azoken is a show of, by animators for animators, and by, or by animators for appreciate for people who appreciate animation, and people who even appreciate creative concepting, and it's it's such a love letter to animation and such a love letter to the artistic process and not just the artistic process, but the collaborative artistic process that it's kind of stunning because one of the, one of the things that even shows like mile down the runway propagate about art is that people who make art commercially usually Almost never do it in a vacuum or alone. Um, if you look at huge commercial artists and huge like hype beat commercial artists like Takashi Murakami, um, uh, what's what's her face? Um, Yayoi Katsuma, uh, Jeff Koons, um, Banksy, they all have teams of people supporting them, like. Uh, most of the public may not know who Banksy is, but I guarantee you that Banksy's core team all know him by name and have his cell phone number. <laughs> like, they just all know who he is. Absolutely. Um, Takashi Murakami has basically a warehouse in the middle of fucking nowhere on the outskirts of Tokyo that is filled with people who work for him and who help mass produce his stuff. Um, Yayo Kasuma must have a team of people who at least install her stuff. Jeff Koons definitely has a team. All these people who make commercial art, including animators, don't do it by themselves. Um, the biggest myth of the creative process is um, of anime is... Um, What's his face? Uh, Makoto Shinkai makes all of his movies by himself. He doesn't. He now ha he has now established a studio called Comics Wave that helps him produce stuff. When he 
first started, it was him and maybe like a sound person. Uh, it was maybe a team of three people. <laughs> and because he wanted to make more commercial films, he had to make commercial enterprise. Because one person, I don't care who they are, can't keep up with that. Especially if you make something with any amount of heart or soul that people will absolutely grab onto. And um, the, um, the characters, especially Kanamori, in, um, in Keep Your Hands Off of Eizouken, really understand that. And one of the reasons why Kanamori became so um, infamous in that show is she was the money one. They, I mean, they called her Kana Money for most of the show. And she was the one who was like, this is marketable, we can do this. But what the key point is, what she also said was, if we do this the right way, you'll get money for your art. My job is to make sure that we get paid for the work we're doing, including me and including you, including you two. And it... So much of the creative industry is built off of you do it for the love so you don't need much money, right? That it's really stunningly great to see a, a character in a creative in a story about creativity and about the create a creative endeavor and industry be like, yeah, but what if you paid us for our fucking work, you shitheads? And and uh, Shirabako is a, is actually probably a more educational show about the anime industry but it's not they and they do have like they do have actual explicit salary stuff in that show but it doesn't get into the nitty gritty of like it doesn't get into the nitty gritty of there should be people who stand up for the artists that it's it's insane how little the people who make the cartoons that shape our lives as kids and as adults are paid. It's stunning. Um, the, I mean, there's, there's like the anim, animated dormitory project and like there's tons of stuff in anime, in anime that explain this. But I actually want to use a, um, a story from Western animation to demonstrate this. Um... You probably don't remember because it was a flash in the pan and it was um, not as good as it probably could have been for reasons I'm about to get to. Um, there was a Seth Rogen movie that was, that was like built as the first R-rated anima animated movie. Although, to be cl clear, that was Felix the Cat. That was uh, Fritz the Cat. That was just Fritz the Cat. That was the first one. Um, but... Um, the this movie was called Sausage Party. It was about like rude grocery store items and shit. And um, Seth Rogen and his writing partner wrote this thing. Um, they pitched it to Sony. I believe it was Sony. Sony bought it. They pre proceeded to produce it, and welched on paying any of the animation staff. 
To which Seth Rogen turned around and just dragged Sony through the mud in a like, way like, I don't care if I ever work with you guys again. This is fucked. And he would write. And he, he apologized for not keeping an eye on it and not, and not sticking up for the animation studio once they were selected. But that shit just shouldn't happen. Sony tried to to produce. Sony did produce and release a movie without paying the people who made it. That's insane. That kind of shit happens all the time in art. You you get like unpaid. One of the um things that stopped in New York is unpaid internships in New York City. In the New York City. Um, you know, business world unpaid internships, and that's because, and I believe it was Condé Nast that got caught with it, but Condé Nast was basically using interns to do real work, and not paying them, and not and but also not giving them college credit. And I've done unpaid internships too, and it is so. It is so abusive of creative people to use the newer generations to produce things and not pay them and say, your time will come. It is so abusive. It should never happen. But in animation... there are animation studios that would never turn a profit if they had to, if they paid fair wages to all of their animators, they just wouldn't turn a profit. That was one of the reasons why the um, attack on KyoAni was so devastating, is that they specifically designed their studio so they were like female dominated, owned all of their IP. And paid their people a living wage. Not just a living wage. A good living wage from what I understand. Which is not the norm. And. It's. So much of the. Of. Um, Keep your hands off Isaacin. Is the raw creative beauty. Of. Of concepting. And animation. And all this stuff. But it also. The, with Kanamori there. There's always the thing of like, yeah, but if you want to show this, but if you want to show this, you, we're gonna need to see some some money first. And yeah, they like reinterpret it as um, in like in like school club, in like a school club format, but they they still touch on it and they harp on it constantly, and that's just like. Seeing that as a creative person, seeing that as someone who is trained in animation and knows the details of like, that took this long, and if that person got paid less than this, they don't get to eat, or sleep in a bed. And at, and also once again, it's a love letter animation, and it's fucking beautiful. Um, and now the number one. My, my number one favorite anime of 2020, if you listen to the episode of um, for this, which was fairly recently, you'll be like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. And that was 
The Great Pretender. The thing I will say about The Great Pretender is The Great Pretender is an Ocean's Eleven movie as a TV series, and it is amazing. It, it is just a show about con artists in the, in the style of an Ocean's Eleven movie-esque like con, con, con artist movie. Like, heist movie. And they do everything in three-episode arcs, so you, so you get to spend a lot of time with all the, like, individual cons and see how they work. And they do it really logically. So there's, um... The last... The second-to-last con in, um... In the... First season is they dupe the Saudi Arabian um, billionaires in their, like, when when they find out they're rigging their air races. And they, they the thing that they, the one thing I'll say I wish they didn't feel like they need to do, although they don't, they barely do it, is you don't feel like they lampshade this shit. And what I mean by that is they say, like, oh, yeah, we con people, but we give most of the money to, like, a specific person who deserves it. And if you've ever seen an Ocean's Eleven movie, it's, uh, they do a good enough job of making the people they're conning bad enough people where you don't need to care if the people are good people, because they're definitely not. Um, and that's all, But that's also true in, um, what's it called, in The Great Pretender. And, um, the, so they have this big elaborate con, and they basically create a rigged betting, a entirely controlled, rigged out betting parlor for, um, to con these Saudi Arabian dudes. And, it's, like, that's probably the one that feels the most like an Oceans movie. It feels the most like, say, an Ocean's 13-esque movie, if you've seen the Ocean's movies. And it's just... I love those movies so much, and they have such a place in my heart. I have have the DVD box set of those movies. And it... It's so good when you see... When you see something, when you don't just see, like, a good anime created, but you see a good anime that says, we're going to nail this particular type of thing. Um, Redline is a great example of this. Redline is, Redline is Wacky Racers. It just is. It's, It's adult Wacky Racers. It's like Kazu Koike sat down and was like, you know that old Hanna-Barbera cartoon? What if we just did that, but awesome? And um, The Great Pretender is a traditional heist movie in the anime form and in the anime medium. And one of the things that I think at its best, um, Netflix anime, and I realize I'm like stunned that, a Netflix animated my top anime. Um, but I think you can see 
I pick stuff from across the fucking spectrum. Um, is that Netflix, because they are dumping so much money in, and because they're looking at they look at stuff in form in terms of like metrics and performance, seem to be more open, and because they want to like drag us all into the hell of not knowing what the word anime means anymore. Um, they seem to be more, more, seem to be less opposed to treating anime like what it is, a medium. Uh, anime is a, is basically a subset of animation. It is not a genre. It is not, it has some tendencies that come with it. But those are pretty equivalent to the tendencies that you would see in any medium. Like, you know, oil paintings tend to have these moments in them. You know, photography has a set of language that's associated with how you develop photos and how you, how you frame photos and all this other stuff. It also has a set of rules, like the three-thirds rule. And... Anime has those things, but that doesn't mean it's not a medium of entertainment. That doesn't make it a genre. And The Great Pretender, by being a... I can't stress this enough. Excellent con artist piece of entertainment is demonstration that if you treat something as a medium, it has greater opportunity to perform than if you treat something as a genre. If you treat something as a genre, it will kind it creates artificial walls. If you treat something as a medium, it can expand to wherever it wants to go. And if you think about the kinds of anime you can go and find and you can watch and buy right now, uh, it's not a genre. It's just a medium. I mean, I constantly fucking waiting for my um black friday order because i ordered a bunch of stuff from right stuff but in that order i ordered a satoshi Kon movie millennium actress i ordered um eccentric family the i think the entire series but i'm not sure um it might just be the first season either way i ordered eccentric family um i ordered megalobox and I ordered um, Mitch Kobayashi Dragon Maid, all on Blu-ray because I'm trying to beef up my Blu-ray my Blu-ray collection. Um, those are all drastically different shows that have little to nothing to do with each other. Yet, to an un to to lots of people, especially in America. They look at that and they're like, "Oh, those are all in anime. Those all those are all in the same ep- in the same aisle in like Best Buy or whatever the fuck." And the downfall of any the downfall of any um, streaming service is assuming that you like the genre of anime and not the medium of anime. And that's uh, just and that's just like thoughts that this show inspires because it's so thoroughly knocked. And the second season is 
a great pretender is out and I need to continue watching it. But it so thoroughly knocks the like heist movie con artist formula out of the park. I mean, I think they got one of the original like people who direct those kinds of movies openings to direct the opening for the great pretender. So it feels so. And also they have like the, the old 1960s box transition thing going constantly. So it feels like you're watching something from like the same craft people who made something like oceans 11. And that gives it more, authenticity in the kinds of stories it's telling and in the kinds of tropes it's using. And it's, it's just, it's really, it's really an excellent show. And it's the reason I picked it as my number one. So if you like this episode, this is an unusual episode granted. Um, you can listen to it on whatever you can subscribe to the podcast and listen to me on whatever you think to listen to me right now in terms of apps. Um, but until Sunday, when I release another Sunday F edition, I will. I have been Alex. You've been listening to Lunchbox Radio, and I will talk to you later in 2021. Thank God. Don't have been a fake, yellow, you're the cool, you know, you prove the wrong.